0: Okay, so we have finally reached chapter 42 uh, in the book of Job, and uh, we are coming off of um, the Lord's speeches in uh, chapters uh, 38, 39, 40, 41. The Lord has finally shown up. He has finally come, uh, and uh, as Job has requested through uh, all his final speeches... And uh, just a quick recap, in case you haven't been listening to all the other episodes, uh, the chapters that we've been going through. Job immense suffering. You know, from the very beginning of the book, the readers are told why, uh, not specifically why, but that uh, God allowed Satan to afflict Job for a purpose, for a reason. And uh, none of the characters in the book have that information. They don't know why, and so these three friends come to comfort Job and. Their, uh, their stance basically is to offer Job a religious system, you know, a uh, uh, a system of everything makes sense, a system of control where if you, if you do good, you get good. If you don't do good, you get bad. And so the bad things that have happened to Job must have come. Because he has done bad, and God has you know rejected his works, um, job, of course, has based everything on faith, he's based everything upon the sacrifices that he offered in the very beginning of the book we've seen we saw Job offer sacrifices for himself and for his children, and Job refuses to hear that counsel, he refuses to hear that uh either God has changed his mind about Job's righteousness or that Job is hiding some secret sin or that the sacrifices weren't acceptable, uh, even though God said that they were, uh, Job refuses all of that. And finally, uh, Job, he, um, uh, he basically, I, I mean, if you think about it, his suffering is compounded by these people who are adding, uh, insult to injury upon him. And so, Uh, finally Job gets to a point where his suffering is so immense not just physical and uh, mental but you know the emotional and spiritual and all these things that he calls out upon God to come and vindicate him he calls out upon God to come and hear his case to come and try his case before these men to vindicate him Uh, he calls upon God to come and Um, he doesn't explicitly say, tell me why this has happened, but he desires God to come and give him an audience to come and appear before him and to, you know, vindicate his righteousness basically. And, uh, the problem is that God doesn't show up. Um, and so Job, uh, goes off in a different direction when that happens <clears throat> and he starts saying god is hiding from him he starts saying that uh, he calls and no one answers he starts saying there's no justice he he starts going off on you know, on the path that you know probably most of us would take if we were faced with that suffering but the issue in job's case and this is something that we've harped on pretty much in every chapter uh, the issue in Job's case is not that Job was whining about why he was suffering. Job never, Job did not sin in order for suffering to come upon him. We know that from the book. Uh, God allowed Satan to afflict Job to uh, demonstrate his righteousness, to prove his righteousness, and of course, Satan denied that. But uh, and so. We know that Job's suffering did not happen to him because he sinned. There's nothing in his past that we're aware of. God even said he was righteous at the beginning. But in the midst of his suffering, as he was going through suffering, Job did in fact sin by uh, questioning God. He didn't question God as to why are you letting this happen to me? Why are you doing this to me? He didn't do any of that but what he did was he would he questioned god about why you won't show yourself why you won't show up and vindicate me why won't you hear my plea why won't you listen to my cry uh job starts doing those you know those kind of things and so first god speaks to job through elihu which is uh you know he's like the prophetic voice and i say that because elihu's speech Uh, which comes right before God's, uh, basically says the same thing that God says to Job. And so, and when we're, you know, we're going to see here in this final chapter that God rebukes the three friends that have been talking to Job this whole book, but he does not rebuke Elihu about what he said. He also, you know, this last four chapters, he's been rebuking Job. So, um, we're going to see all these things. And, and for the last four chapters, if you haven't heard, God has just backed Job into a corner. I mean, relentlessly. You know, who do you think you are? Where were you when I made the earth? Where were you when I fed the mountain goats? Where were you when I, you know, do you know the way to the, where darkness lives? Do you know the way to where the spiritual uh, realms are? I mean, he's just over and over and over. Even in the middle of God's speeches, Job... um gets to make a peep and he's like oh I'm sorry and then God just takes over again and keeps on and on and on you know who do you think you are to question me can you run the universe better than me and and so what we have here in chapter 42 is we're going to see this is the very end of the book and Job is allowed to answer now that God has you know questioned him uh, so thoroughly. And uh, Job's going to answer. Then God is going to rebuke Job's friends uh, for all that they have said. And it's a very interesting thing here at the end. Uh, we'll get to it when we get to it. And then finally, he's going to restore Job's, all Job's f- fortunes. Um, there's a few questions, a few matters of interpretation in the last chapter that we'll probably have to deal with that are that are a little difficult. But we'll get to those As we as we read through, it says, verse one says, then Job answered the Lord and said, now, remember, the Lord has man. He has been relentlessly questioned Job. So Job finally answers. And he says, verse two says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Um Job first thing he does is the one thing that we all need to do. Um no matter whether we're going to suffer through suffering, uh uh we tend to we tend to uh say this, we tend to we tend to come and approach God in this manner when all the bad comes, but we tend to take a flippant version, you know, a flippant view of God when everything's going good. And so God uses suffering just to humble us in, in a lot of cases. But regardless of that, Job comes and he acknowledges God's omnipotence. He says, look, I know I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What he's saying is I know that you've you've had your reason for this whole this whole ordeal, this whole um, this whole play that has gone on with suffering and questioning and, and back and forth with the counselors. And, you know, I know that you have, you know, that, that, that all this has been in your will, that all my trials must have been for greater good because no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Uh, you understand that he's saying, he's saying, uh, you know, that, that, Even, you know, it's what we've been saying the whole book, you know, and what we see in the New Testament, that God's working all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and and who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so Job is realizing now that, you know, it's not necessarily that he's wiping the sweat off his brow going, whoo, I'm glad we got all that settled. You know, it's a wonderful thing. Let's go tiptoe through the tulips. Uh, he's still suffering. He's still going through all that he's gone through, but uh, now he realizes because God has shown up and basically just rebuked the heck out of him. Now he's he, he understands that that God is in control of the universe. God is governing the universe. That was one of the things that God said to Job do, do you think you can govern this this universe better than I can who can you feed the eagles can you you know d- do all these different things that that uh, God does in governing the universe Job understands that God's all-powerful, and uh, finally, Job understands that he's ignorant. He's ignorant about all that God is, about all that God does. When he says, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge, he's uh, referring to uh, what God said when he first came on the scene. God says, who is this, and he was referring to Job, who is this who darkens counsel without knowledge? He's talking to Job, you know, about... Who, who Who is it that you think you are telling me what I'm supposed to be doing? And so Job uh, Job quotes that line again that God said in verse 3. He says, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He says, who am I? He says, Therefore, I have uttered, this is who I am. I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I did not, you know, he realizes that he was complaining about God not showing up when he requested him. Uh, He was complaining without understanding, you know, God's word, God's ways, uh, God's nature. I mean, uh, for him to question, for him to question God's goodness, God's justice, um, he is questioning the very nature of God himself. I mean, he's basically saying you are not God, because if God is not perfect uh, in every aspect of his nature, then he's not God. If he's not a perfect judge if he's not perfectly righteous, if he's not perfect in his justice, perfect in his love, then he's not God. So Job realizes that, you know, as a man, as a sinful, mortal man, he, he's unable to understand God's ways. And, uh, you know, and and he he humbles himself by acknowledging God's presence. In verse 4 he says, he says, hear and I'll speak. He said, listen, I, I'm going to say one more thing. He says, I'll question you and you make it known to me. Uh, this sounds like, it it sounds like the same, I mean, it is the same thing that God had said to Job. It sounds here like Job is getting a little smart saying, I'll question you, you make it known to me. But in, in this case, Job is what he's doing is saying, look, I don't know anything. And so I'm going to be the one asking and you are the one giving me knowledge because I'm completely without knowledge. He said, I'll question you and you make it known to me. Verse five, very important. He says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Um, what we see in verse six goes with it, it says, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so what we see here is that Job has an experience now with this awesome and powerful, omnipotent God Um it's one thing. Now, this is not to say that Job didn't have true faith before or or anything like that, but there's a difference between knowing about God and having an experience knowing God having a relationship with God there's a difference between you know when when you're a child and and you grow up in church and you hear all the stories and you know all the bible verses and you're memorizing you know maybe you're in Okinawa and you're memorizing bible verses and you you could probably tell Bible stories better than you know some of the adults that are in church, and, and you just know all these facts, and you're taught about God, and you're taught about His wonderful works and His marvelous ways, um, that's a wonderful thing, and that's a blessing of the Lord to be brought up in a culture, a household like that. Um, but to actually have an experience with this God, to actually come face-to-face with the justice and the law of this god and to see yourself as as filthy as as sinful as um hopeless to see yourself that way um, and then to understand the goodness of this god that he provided a way of escape he provided a savior he took upon himself the uh the sinfulness that uh that you see reflected in the law and he he bore that himself to have that experience of transformation to have that experience where you come face to face with this powerful omnipotent god you know i, I hear a lot of people I'm, I'm a youth pastor as well as a hospital chaplain but uh, i hear a lot of young people uh, they don't necessarily use these words but they say things like you know when i see god i'm just going to say yo you know you didn't, you didn't you didn't you didn't give me enough information you didn't tell me you know and I just want to think: Are you insane? Uh, standing before—I mean, it, it would be like standing on the sun. Uh, you won't be—you won't be speaking back to God as if you know He's your bud or He's your—you know, He's the homeboy that you got to get past to get through the get through the pearly gates or whatever. I mean like Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 6 the just the presence of this powerful omnipotent god uh it 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 unravels Isaiah and he's a righteous man in Israel uh he says I'm co- I'm coming undone I'm coming apart at the seams I, I'm an unclean man unclean lips and when you're face to face with holiness you see um the utter sin in in your own heart in your own life Um, It's impossible not to and so Job says you know look I've heard all about you and I know all about you but now my eye sees you now that my eyes come face to face with you now that I am just I'm in your presence the only thing that I can do is despise myself and repent and this is the this is the the only time this is where job repents for all that you know all that he has said all the things that have come out of his mouth <clears throat> and you see this that that job has suffered all this time job has you know he has gone through all these things gone through what you know these friends have been telling him and uh, just this whole this whole you know 37 chapters of 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 suffering and arguing and and all these things and Job um, he let his mouth run a little reckless toward the end of his speeches you know he he questioned some very fundamental things about God about who God is Um, and it it was in response to God not appearing and vindicating him as he thought he should Uh, and so when he did that He was making sinful assumptions about who God is. He was making accusations about who God is. But when God finally shows up, what happens to Job's mouth? It's stopped. And that's what Romans tells us that the law does to it. It stops the mouth. No longer did Job say, well, this is not fair. You should have, you know, no longer when god started speaking to him and says he's saying you know who do you think you are i'm god i'm you know where were you when i did this where job is quieted by the power of god he's quieted by just the insignificance of who he is before this this holy being and so the only thing that he can do the only thing that he can do is repent of 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 his sin, repent of what he said, repent of being a sinful human being, and uh you know it, it when we experience God in that such a way, God brings us to a point of uh, i don't like saying a point of crisis that sounds like we're some kind of psychological deal, but when the law comes and and cracks you upside the head and you know you come to yourself by the power of the spirit and realize that. You have broken every command in the book. You have rebelled against God, rebelled against God's law. And I have as well. When that happens and you are face to face with this awesome, powerful, you know, it's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of a living God. When you're face to face with it, the only response that a man can give, the only response that a man can give to, uh, to, um, I don't want to say justify himself, but uh, the only correct response is to repent, and the dust and ashes, the uh, sackcloth and ashes—that—that uh, that, uh, is a sign of repentance for uh, the the ancient Near East. And so, Job repents of his of his the words that he has said. You know, he's he's uh, started out in his book, you know, taking dust and ashes because of the suffering, but now he's not repenting and covering himself with dust and ashes in the he's not doing that because of physical suffering or because he's gone through trials he's doing that because he's a sinful man and he has spoken uh presumptuously about god uh the second section is uh verses excuse me seven through nine in this chapter and this is where the lord rebukes job's friends and it's really interesting um because God is, uh, He's going to rebuke Job's friends, and He's going to order that Job's friends sacrifice, make sacrifice to atone or, or to cover the the sins that they have done for they have spoken wrongly about the Lord. Uh, and in this section as well, He is going to um, He's going to tell them, uh, "You guys don't even pray to me for forgiveness, because I'm not going to listen to you." He says, what you do is you get you your bulls and your goats and your, the proper sacrifices, and then you go and you bring them to Job. And you ask Job if he will pray for you. And if Job prays for you, then I'll forgive you. Um, and, man, that's, that's got to be hard on these guys who have been saying... You know, the whole book, we know what God is doing in your life. We know, you know, the whole time we've talked about this is Bildad and and Eliphaz and Zophar, they have spoken to Job as if they were on a higher level of righteousness than he. Um, Because in their worldview, if you go through suffering, it means you must be wicked. And so these three weren't going through any suffering, but Job was going through terrible suffering and so their whole conversations with him have always been you know you need to be like us you know evidently you've got some wickedness in your life joe because look at us we're not suffering and so at the at the end of this god turns the tables on them and says no no you you don't understand job is the one that's right before me uh and i'm not even going to hear your prayers let's let's read it i'll say uh, i'm repeating myself verse seven says After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now here's the interpretive problem that I spoke of earlier. Job was chastised by the Lord. If you go back and read what Elihu said and what God said to Job when they came and chastised him, it was his words that they found fault with it was um, you know nothing to do with uh, uh, his response to suffering or, or or any of those things it was the words that he spoke about god uh when he questioned justice and he questioned god's love and he questioned whether god was even listening to him Um, it was, it was Job's words that he was being chastised for, but here God chastises Eliphaz and his two buddies and says, you guys have not spoken right about me. Uh, and therefore my anger burns against you. He says, but, but my servant Job has spoken right about me. And what he's talking about here is that he's talking about the interchange that Job had with the friends. Uh, Job had with, um, you think of it in sections, the, the first major section of the book, well, you have the little courtroom scene at the very beginning where Satan comes into the the heavenly court and they talk about Job. But then, uh, from, I'm thinking it's chapter three, I'd have to look at it from three to right up until Elihu's speech, which is going to be, yeah, 36, 37, right in there somewhere. Uh, might, might even be 35, uh, That whole section in Job, you have the three friends making speeches and Job responding to their speeches. And so that big chunk of the book, uh, the whole point of that, the whole purpose of that, the whole theme of that book, of that chunk, is that the three friends are pushing their worldview on Job, saying that if you're good, you get good. If you're bad, you get bad. That's the way God works. And evidently, you know, you've done bad somewhere. And Job was saying, no, I haven't. You know, I've been sacrificing. I've sacrificed. And the friends are like, well, I'm sorry. Your sacrifices, they don't mean nothing. You know, their their whole worldview was there is no such thing as grace. If you do, then you get. If you don't do, then you don't get. And Job was arguing with them the whole time uh, saying that no, I'm holding fast to my integrity, which in in this context his integrity was his faith, uh, and so he had spoken to those three friends rightly. Now, when he starts running his mouth reckless, when he starts speaking things that are not, you know, not right against God, uh, making accusations, making you know all the careless words that he spoke. Then Elihu pops up on the scene and says, whoa, 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 whoa. And, so, and and Elihu starts chastising Job and then God shows up and chastises Job. So what God's talking about here is that Job spoke what was right about God to the friends. The friends, the three buddies, were wrong about their view of God. They were wrong to say that there's no grace in the world because you get what you get and if you work hard enough then you get it and the reason job was suffering because he must not have been working hard enough and so they were wrong about what they were saying about god and so god's anger burns against them but job in his responses to those three friends was right on target and we saw that through the the majority of the book um we saw that job was was a righteous man, holding fast to his integrity, he refused to curse God in the midst of his, in the midst of his suffering and, and it was only when he requested or demanded that God show up and vindicate him and and God didn't at, at his call that's when he started that's when he started, well, God's not listening. you know God's not there, he's not hearing me, and that's when God came and rebuked him. But here he says that Job spoke what was right to those three friends. And we saw that throughout the whole book. And so this is what he tells the fr- three friends. Now, I love this because their whole worldview has been works, 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 the whole book. And so now God confronts them saying, hey, you sinned. What are you going to do? Uh, the only thing they can do is what God instructs them to do. And that is to, uh, to provide a substitute Uh, To take the place of their sin. And he says, so what I want you to do is, verse 8 says, Now therefore take seven bulls, seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. He says, you need to offer it for yourselves. Because you're in the wrong. And he says, I love this. And my servant Job shall pray for you. (laughs) For I will accept his prayer uh, not to deal with you according to your folly. Uh, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Second time he said that. Uh, so look well, look at what happened all of a sudden. When God shows up, he does, in a sense, vindicate Job. He does, in a sense, say, well, Job w- was actually right. You know. Now, I've dealt with Job about what he did say that was incorrect, but as far as Job was talking to you guys and you guys talking to Job, uh, he was right on the money, and you were wrong. So what what happens to them is their whole worldview is shattered in just a few lines. Um, they were expecting God to show up. And just to nail Job to the wall, and they would stand around going, "Huh, see, I told you. If you do good things, then you get good things, you know. And if you if you do bad, then you get bad. There's no no grace, no substitution, no no any of that stuff, you know. And and Job was going, no, no, no. And now here we see that the three friends are the ones who have done wrong, and Job has done right. And so the f- three friends, faced with their own worldview, if they would take their own advice, all they can say is, uh-oh, suffering's coming now. Uh, I'm fixing to get punished. I'm fixing to get punished bad. You know, I'm, I- I'm the one that's in the wrong. I'm the one that's sinned. I'm the one that has got God's anger burning against me. And instead of unleashing wrath upon them, like their worldview would prescribe... God gives them grace. And he gives them grace based on the substitution of sacrifices. He says, you take these sacrifices, and there's a righteous man down the road that you probably know. You've been talking to him for 38 chapters. This righteous man who suffered, um, even though he'd done nothing wrong, he suffered, this righteous man suffered. And what I'm going to do is, you bring those sacrifices... And he is going to intercede for you. He's going to intercede for your sin. And the reason he's going to do that is because I'm going to accept his prayer. And the implication there is I'm not going to accept yours. There is no more perfect picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for sinners. And what he continues to do by sitting at the right hand of the Father and interceding for for sinners Job was a righteous man who suffered unjustly. And I say unjustly. It wasn't unjustly because he was a sinner and God can do what he wants with sinners. But for all intents and purposes, God had God said out of his own mouth that Job didn't do anything to actually deserve the suffering that was heaped upon him. Uh, and now he's become, through that suffering, through his... It's not a... Equation with the Lord Jesus Christ, but through his repentance, through his, through his faith in God, he has now become the intercessor for these guys who thought they were so righteous, who thought they were doing so good. Is that not the perfect picture of what Christ has done for, uh, for the world, especially the, the religious minded Jewish nation to whom he first came? He says, you go and, uh, my servant Job, he's going to he's going to pray for you, and I'm going to accept his prayer. And so, verse 9, luckily, Eliphaz, I say luckily, they were blessed, really. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, uh, they hightailed it, and they did exactly what they were told. Uh, verse 9 says, So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. God gave them grace, the same grace that they have denied the whole book that we've seen. This whole book, they've denied that that grace was a reality. They said you had to work for it. If you've done bad, you must have been hiding some bad because God wouldn't allow suffering if you have been a good little boy like we are. And now here, after all they said, God First of all, God offers them grace. God gives them grace. And second of all, if you were Job, would you pray for these three guys? Man, if you're saying yeah and nod your head yeah, then you are far more righteous than I am. I mean, Job had to forgive these. I mean, he had to to intercede for them. Uh, You know, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. Anyway, uh, the the final uh, section in the book really and we come to the end is the narrative of how god restores uh the blessings of job after all this is over um all this is done uh job receives more in the latter years of his life than he ever had in the beginning and what is a picture it's a picture of not that you know if you suffer in this life um, just hold on because god 's going to give you a mansion later on, or whatever it 's a picture of the true blessings that come through humility and repentance um, they come they come afterward uh no matter how blessed you are no matter how um in tribulation you are no matter how 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 you find yourself in suffering no matter what you go through in this life or no matter how blessed you are if you don't really you know have the kind of suffering that job has the true blessing of the true blessing the true honor the true glory of knowing the lord on a personal level being saved by the the blood of christ and having the holy spirit indwell you comes when we see him face to face when we when we exit this fallen creation or when creation is renewed and uh, we all come to uh, the perfect knowledge of of who He is and who we are in Him and uh, sin is done away with. And that's where the blessing comes from. So let me read it. It says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters. You see him getting his family, family back now, not alone anymore. And all who had known him before, there's his friends, and ate bread with him in his house, no longer alone, no longer isolated. Now he has friends and family. You know, it's a picture of a joyous, you know, celebration. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil. That word, uh, it could mean it. It does mean calamity or disaster here that the Lord had brought upon him and each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. They blessed him and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And, uh, verse, the rest of verse 12 says, talks about all the sheep and oxen he had verse 13 says he, he had also seven sons and three daughters, same as he had in the beginning. Remember, uh, and this this is uh, strange at the end. It's not strange, but it, it's uh, different from the beginning in the beginning, it was all focused on the sons that uh, you know they they would have a meal at their house and you know they would go in each one to each other's houses. Here it's all about the daughters and he says, and he called the name of the first daughter, the three daughters uh, Jemima, and the name of the second Kaziah and the name of the third Karen Hapuk and in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived a hundred and forty years. That's important because you you want to think you know Job's ninety something years old or uh, you know however old he is, you know he's just an old feeble guy. And now God's blessed him. Now he lived a hundred and forty more years, uh, in this blessed state. And he saw his sons and his sons' sons. Four generations. And it says, and Job died an old man and full of days. And that's how the book of Job ends. And so what you see is, you see a a, a magnification, a, a, a doubling of his blessing um, because he went through this suffering. Do you remember at the very beginning of this book, uh, God said, "There's, uh, you know, he told Satan, you, you go and look. There's no one righteous like my servant Job, and of course Satan said, "Well, let me let me go and test that. Let's see how righteous he is." And God allowed him to do that, and so the whole book we have known that that's the purpose. We've known that this little this little uh, conversation between God and the Satan went on uh, in the beginning. None of the other characters knew that this is what was going on. And they all had their idea as to why Job was going through suffering. But here at the end, I just want to offer my own opinion, um, about the, the reason for suffering. The book of Job doesn't ever tell us, uh, why God allowed him to go through suffering. Why, you know, he took his children, why he never tells us why. Um, the, the basic point of the book is that, uh, Uh, why is not a question that we ask in faith the question that we should ask is what am i supposed to do in in this you know when you start asking you know uh, that's not necessarily true Uh, i think god is big enough to handle our our why questions Um, the point of this was that job you know job did not rebel in his suffering but toward the end he didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel and when he when he felt himself uh when he thought that he was falling into you know uh, despair when he there was no help there was no god didn't come right when he called him um he he started to question and then god shows up and at the end here you see job is restored Not just with more stuff, you know, he's got more stuff. He's restored to his family, he's restored to his wealth, he's restored to his health, uh, you know, supposedly. And that's not, that's part of his blessing. But the true blessing came earlier when he said, you know, my ears had heard of you, but now I've seen you. You know, now I have seen you. Now I've beheld you, and and all I can do is stand before you and repent. Job now has all this has led up to a confrontation between between Job and God, where uh, Job always was a faithful man, always believed, always sacrificed, always understood his position, you know, toward God. Uh, but now. He understands that position in the midst of some of the most awful suffering that could ever be possibly imagined, um, and what what he is now is he is uh, he he's a man that has been thoroughly blessed by God with all these you know he's got ten more kids got all this money got you know oxen and you know, and donkeys and all, all that kind of stuff, but now. He knows God on a deeper level than he ever did before. Now he, uh, not saying that he didn't have a relationship with God before, but but do you see that through all of this, through the suffering that he went through, um, through all of the things that he dealt with with the three friends, through God coming and speaking himself, now he knows the God of the universe, the Omnipotent One, the One who has all things in His power. Now he knows Him At so much of a deeper level than he ever did before. Um, What could possibly come into Job's life now. In these last 140 years. That would cause him to doubt God. That would cause him to uh, cry out in in suffering. Or all those things. The book ends. It says Job died an old man full of days. Um, The the picture is of a blessed life. And I just believe that it wasn't... You know, it wasn't, he was blessed before because he had all the stuff, but now he's got all the stuff again, but the real blessing, the real difference in Job's life is not that he's richer than he was before, but now he's blessed. He's a blessed man because he knows the true and living God, and he is uh, he's has a deeper relationship now with God than he ever did before.